0: Leah D'Ambrosio's career began at some of North America's most recognizable clothing retailers. She was a buyer for brands like Anthropology and Urban Outfitters. But it's during those stages of her career that the level of waste generated by parts of the fashion industry became an increasingly difficult aspect of the way that clothing is made at scale to reconcile. So she returned to university to learn and to verse herself in smaller scale and more sustainable ways of making high quality clothing, with a focus on methods of hand weaving wool. And in 2016, she founded Walhide, a small line knitted sweater and casual clothing brand, which is headquartered in Philadelphia. For a while, D'Ambrosio wove all of Walhide's garments herself, but as its customer base grew, so did the team she works with. The majority of Walhide's garments are now woven and produced at two small family-owned factories in Peru, from where she also sources much of the alpaca fibres many of Walhide's garments are made of. But despite her company's growth, which has been considered and gradual, she says, maintaining a sense of intimacy between her brand and her customers and the makers she works with is still at the heart of Walhide's offering. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Thomas Lewis, here in Toronto. This week, we speak to Leah D'Ambrosio, who joined me from her studio in Philadelphia. And she starts now by explaining in more detail where Heights' story begins.
1: I think sweaters are really unique in that as you're building and making the garment, you're also creating the textile. So they go hand in hand and there was, um, just seemed like there was a lack of development in a lot of companies and I felt like we could be making really beautiful sweaters if we kind of invested in more of the knowledge of the structures and the fibers and how they react and how they you know interact with different structures and different bodies and different things like that so I just felt like there was an opportunity to really focus on the textiles in sweater design. So the brand started technically, I guess, in 2016. It was kind of a long road to get here. So um, I went to Drexel in Philadelphia for design and merchandising. Always knew that I wanted to do something creative, but, you know, never felt like art school or, or being an artist was really for me. So I found design school and kind of took that path. And after school, I went to work for a big company in, I was in the buying department and just felt like that wasn't really for me. A big corporate world wasn't really for me. Became very aware of a lot of the waste that's created in the fashion industry and a lot of practices that i didn't really like that i just felt like this can be done in a better way and we can be more mindful of of how we treat people how we treat the planet and how how we treat you know how we respect our materials and the whole supply chain while we make things at the time there was just there was no awareness of the full supply chain and how things were made. So, you know, you would get samples in and they would just smell (laughs) like gasoline or like really strong like chemicals. and, and, And we had no idea what was actually being done to them. And at the time there was just, there was not much transparency in how your products were made, even if you were involved in making them. And I think, you know, just at a big company, there was a lot of, you know, samples that were being made and then not produced and just, you know, just waste sort of throughout the whole process and just kind of a disregard for, for that.
0: So you decided to leave the job that you're in. And where did that take you next, Leah?
1: From there, I, I left and, and I worked some odd jobs and I, I ended up working for a, a small boutique. And one of the owners had a small hand-knit sweater line and I, I worked for her and through that got more interested in sweaters and textiles. And so I ended up going back to school for textile design and focused on knitwear. And there, a couple things really stood out to me. One, it was very focused on textile design. It was It was not any sort of product design it was just creating the textiles and I felt like so I came out of school with this very specific knowledge of of how to design a knit textile but I couldn't really get a job as a sweater designer because I didn't have fashion design technical skills but I also felt like that was lacking in the industry Another thing that really stood out to me was just the amount of chemicals that we put on our clothes and on our home textiles. And just it was, it's something that was sort of taught to us as just, you know, how things are done in the industry. And nobody really knew about it. I mean, just the general consumer didn't really know much about that, which was kind of shocking to me.
0: And how then from the start of the company did you try to counter that? And what, I suppose, more broadly did those early days of height look like for you?
1: In grad school, I spent, you know, countless hours developing textiles and, and working with stitches and working with yarns. And I think that knowledge I still retain and that goes into designing the sweaters. And even if I don't have the time every day to sit down and work on my knitting machine, and I still have that base understanding of how stitches work and how yarns work and how they work together so I try to really focus on the stitch design and create sweaters that have you know shapes and silhouettes that are easy to wear something that you're going to want to wear every day but really focus on the textile and the materials and the structures that go into making them. When I first started the brand, I was making everything myself and I was working with small domestic farms and then hand looming all the pieces, or, you know, I was doing some cut and sew and hand dyeing things. And then in 2016, I started working with a friend of a friend who was starting a wholesale sales rep business. We still work together today. And so in 2016, we did our first wholesale trade show and then i got a couple orders and at the same time was looking for production to scale up just a little bit found it very challenging to scale up a little bit producing domestically so i was able to find some partners in peru and started working there and slowly would kept going back to peru and just trying to find um meeting as many people as possible and just trying to find the right fit, the right factories that, that I wanted to work with and eventually did find them. So now most of our sweaters are made in Peru. We work. I work with two factories. I work with a small family run factory that does most of our industrial machine knitting. And then I work with a smaller artisan factory that works with smaller co-ops and, and hand knitters and hand loomers. And so you know, it's been, it's been a slow growth. And like I said, so today it hasn't grown that. I mean, I don't, I'm not making everything myself, but you know, it's, it's mainly me and Ada, who was my sales rep that I started working with. I do now work with a couple freelance people who help with pattern development and with, you know, some website marketing, stuff like that. So it's grown a little bit, but it's still pretty small.
0: And from a design point of view, as well as a utilitarian one, what was the founding principle of what a wall height garment would be?
1: The feel of the garment is is really important to me. I think in using natural materials and in using materials that are, you know, trying to find materials that are processed less than others creates a softness in a way. So for the organic cotton that we use, the natural is undyed and it's unbleached. So it's really like in its most natural state as possible. You know, obviously it has to be washed and, and all this, but I think staying true to the integrity of of the raw material as much as possible and just really appreciating that and finding, you know, we work with a lot of alpaca, which is really, really soft and so that helps. <laughs> but yeah, it is it is very important. I guess it comes through a lot of, of what I want to wear and, you know, what sort of my friends or, you know, people I work with want, want to wear as well and things that we're comfortable in. So, you know, the cut and so. Stuff that we make is is fully domestic. It's 100% organic cotton. And that was something that was very important to me to build that supply chain, to have it be completely domestic and have it be organic and as natural as possible. And it's really the silhouettes that we do. We call it the easy collection. It's very easy to wear. It's stuff that you want to throw on. And it's stuff that I throw on every day or at the end of the day, as soon as I come home, you know, something like that. And as far as the sweaters, I think, you know, like I talked about, just really trying to develop the textile and develop the stitch and the structure and the texture into the sweaters is something that's important. And then also just putting that into silhouettes, you know, we do run similar silhouettes pretty often because I think that leads to, you know, I don't want it to be too trend focused because I want these garments to be things that you want to wear for a long time. So changing things up with the yarns and the textures allows us to kind of keep a similar silhouette running for a while that we think is something that people want to wear and will want to wear for a long time. Sometimes it's a challenge and you get really tempted. And and I don't think that our stuff is completely away from trends, you know, we do end up following some trends because you're just, it's like in the zeitgeist and you just kind of create this thing and it ends up being that way. But I do think it's also kind of freeing and liberating in a way to not feel like we need to chase that. And that was something that I saw when I worked for bigger companies was there was always this chasing of trends and I really I I just really didn't like the way that that was done because you're just always playing catch up and that didn't really make any sense to me because you were just it seemed like you were never fast you could never be fast enough. If you were chasing something and then you would kind of scramble to produce something and then maybe it wasn't quite right or maybe people had moved on or, you know, and it always just felt like if you just stayed true to what you do and to what people like, then you can give yourself more time in the development process and, and create more intentional products.
0: And you've described in such detail about each weave, each knot in the yarns you use to create a wall hide. Garment, even if, as you say, growth for Wallhide has been gradual and and incremental. Does the fact that you began by making every single sweater yourself, which you don't and, and can't do now, does that feel like you have to relinquish a little bit of control over the brand each time it grows? And I wonder what that what that feeling is like for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard to give up. In the beginning, it was really, really hard to give up that control of making the thing myself and figuring out how to communicate what I wanted instead of just being able to sit down and figure it out myself. And every little bit that I give up is kind of that way. It's like a little, it's, it's difficult, but I think that, you know, trying to find the right people to work with, and that helps a lot. So so figuring out, you know, where you need the help. And a lot of times when I've sort of started to outsource something, it's because I just needed to, and I just couldn't do it myself anymore. So when I found the factories in Peru, we had gotten a slightly big order that I just couldn't fill myself. So I had to find <laughs> production, You know, up until last year, I was still taking all the inventory into my house and unpacking it and packing all of our orders from here. But I had a baby in COVID, so (laughs) I couldn't hire somebody to help me, but I also couldn't do it all myself. So I ended up finding a small shipping warehouse that I work with now and sort of had to give up that control just because I, I really had to. But that's worked out really great and they've been great partners. So it is it is difficult and I think that you know there is a lot to say about staying small and and not growing too big. and I think you know there's a lot of value in, in small incremental growth and a lot of value in appreciating the path and the journey and the and the sort of figuring it out and meeting the people and, and building those relationships as you go.
0: And who is Walheidde's core audience? here and and have you seen that that audience change or evolve in any way over the years?
1: It's mostly women, you know, roughly late twenties to late forties, I guess. I think we see a lot of women in creative professions, all different types of creative professions. So somebody who's maybe in film or somebody who's an artist or in, you know, maybe a yoga instructor, things like that. Lately, we've been seeing a lot of mothers and and people are are telling us that they really appreciate our our easy collection because it's just so soft and comfortable and, and they feel good about having that close to their bodies and the bodies of their babies. And we do see some, you know, some men here and there wearing them, which I love. I always wanted the collection to be something that could fit a broad audience. You know, it's a very specific product, but I want it to be able to sort of fit on many people.
0: And the yarns that you use in your garments, Leah, provenance is an important part of what Walhide stands for. Where do you source the yarns from?
1: When I was in grad school, there was this alpaca owners and breeders association design challenge that we did. So I ended up learning a lot about alpaca from doing those challenges and learning about the sustainability of of the fiber and and of the animals. So that was one thing that I really liked about working in Peru. There is a lot of alpaca fiber there. There's nothing really that we do differently about sourcing in Peru. There's, you know, a couple big yarn companies in Peru to work with. But I do feel really good about working there because I think that just the culture of Peru and the people there, there's just sort of this like ingrained respect for the planet and for people. And, and when you go there and you see production and you don't feel like anybody's being taken advantage of in any way. And um, also, you know, knitting and textiles and, and alpacas like so ingrained in their history and their culture that there's so much expertise there and so much knowledge and we drove through the highlands one time and, and saw the alpacas just grazing up in the clouds. And, you know, it's just, it's beautiful. But we also do work a little bit with alpaca and wool domestically. So it's kind of a new project that we're working on. And, you know, trying to work with, get back to working with smaller farms and domestic farms for that. I think it it creates a challenge in in trying to do something a little bit differently especially producing in the US that's been a big challenge because the textile industry in the US was it used to be huge and it, there were a ton of textile companies here and you know now there's there's only a few left and they really service bigger operations, and it's really, really hard to convince anybody to to do something on a smaller scale or to do something slightly different because that's you know it costs them money and it's work that they don't really need to do, and they would rather just continue doing business as usual sort of thing so yeah, I think that there's some demand growing from designers and hopefully from consumers that that want things that are made domestically and, and that are processed less heavily. Um, So I think hopefully there's some opportunity there for, for some change in the industry. I think there's definitely been, been more awareness and, and more demand for that. I've always tried to be very transparent about our process and, and what we try to do. And I think that people appreciate that. I mean, I make effort as much as I can to make the best choices, but I I never want to claim to be, you know, the best at or the most this or that. But I just try to be honest with our customers and tell them, what something is and and what it's not. And so I think, yeah, I think that 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 builds trust and that builds some loyalty there. I think that people are definitely starting to be more willing to pay a little bit more for something that they can understand where it came from and they can appreciate where it came from. And I, I do get customers reaching out to me asking questions. And I think that customers are starting to do their own research a little bit more, which is very exciting. You know, I'm, I'm so happy that people are, are learning and doing their own research and, and asking brands questions. So, yeah, I think that in general, there's definitely more appreciation for that.
0: I wonder how difficult it is to ensure, with the other yarns that you use, for example, to make sure that all of those parts of the supply chain meet the kind of goals that you're working to uphold here in Walheid's Garments? Being a smaller design house, do you have to make any kind of compromises along the way in any stages of the process?
1: It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. It's it's becoming a little bit easier. But, you know, being small and trying to do that has also been really difficult because, you know, maybe I haven't been able to meet minimums to buy a yarn that I wanted to buy. And I sort of had to buy from like the low minimum yarns that maybe had some synthetics in them that I didn't love having to use, but didn't really have much opportunity to to work around that at the time so I think that different things are are becoming more available along the supply chain but it's still challenging and there's still a lot of unknown in in the supply chain I think in general I've spent a lot of time trying to build relationships with people that I work with and really continuously have conversations with them about different things and the way things are done sort of on their end and, you know, trying to connect with the yarn companies in Peru and asking them as many questions as possible. But it's really hard. I mean, it's hard enough to do something and then and then you put a lot of restrictions on yourself and you kind of like, you know, kind of crunch yourself down into a smaller box. And yeah, it's a little bit harder to to figure out.
0: And looking ahead, Leah, what do you have in mind for Walhite in the years to come?
1: I think it'll always be slow and steady wins the race. Um <laughs> It's hard to answer that question right now. I feel like everything has been turned upside down and, you know, there's so much unknown in the future is very just uncertain at the moment. So, you know, I think my thoughts right now are to try and grow, but also maybe grow in one way, but cut back in another way sort of thing where, you know, I want to be able to try to grow our website in e-com sales and be able to maybe showcase more like small runs of things that we can do, you know, maybe taking some leftover pieces that we have and trying to make some pillows with them or, you know, things like that, where, where we can get a little, I can get a little bit more creative with what we're working with and present something a little bit unique, but still keep it really small and not have to think about producing it for wholesale or like making a sample and then producing a big run of it so something that I can focus a little bit more on just making smaller maybe more special more unique runs of
0: and just finally Leah you mentioned a little earlier the ongoing contact you have with your customers the conversations you have with them about your garments I wonder how important that will Remain for you and the brand more broadly going forward, which is something I'd guess at times isn't perhaps as common or as possible even in the same way for a bigger clothing manufacturer that isn't quite the intimate operation that that Walhite is.
1: When we get customers reaching out and telling us how much they love their garment and they wear it all the time, and you know that is just. That's the best that makes it all worth it, <laughs> you know? And even when we we had appointments with our buyers last week and we saw so many of them just wearing their sweatshirt that we make and, and that just was like, oh, you can tell that they just wear that a lot and that just feels so good. So I think, yeah, making those connections with people, both with our customers and having them appreciate what we do, but also making the connections and the relationships on the On the production side, too, both are just really valuable and and that's really what kind of keeps me going and wanting to continue. You know I think I learn lessons every every day and solve new problems every day and I think that going back to sort of the slow incremental growth, I think that there's real value and you know I used to get really frustrated that the growth wasn't happening right away for us. And and you hear all these entrepreneurial success stories about how people, you know, start doing something and then everybody wants it the next day. And then (laughs) the next day they're a millionaire or something. So that was always really frustrating when I started out. But I think what I've, one thing I've really learned is that, you know, that small incremental growth is really valuable and, and learning the lessons along the way. You know, if we had grown faster, those lessons maybe would have been a lot harder or hit a lot harder because you're bigger and there's more at stake. And yeah, I think that there's, there's real value in, in that process and also just in appreciating all, all the work and all the effort that goes into building something that you believe in.
0: My thanks to Leah D'Ambrosio, founder of the Philadelphia-based knitwear brand Walhide, for speaking to us for this week's edition of The Entrepreneurs. You can learn more by heading to wallhide.com. And that's all we have time for, for this week's edition of the programme. Today's show was mixed and edited at Midori House in London by Jack Jewers. My thanks to him, as always. You can listen again to today's programme or delve into our archive of inspiring business stories from right around the world at monocle.com, where you'll also be able to pick up a copy of the print counterpart to this programme, The Entrepreneur's Magazine. You can pick up the latest edition at monocle.com forward slash shop. I'm Thomas Lewis here in Toronto. We'll have a brand new episode of The Entrepreneurs for you at the same time next week. But for now, goodbye and thank you very much for listening.